the 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 core things where people like really fuck up how they're optimizing their lives is they optimize it around competing in a specific social dynamic or a specific social community that is like you know it, it could be that they organize themselves based on how how alpha they are for example mm. and that doesn't really matter when you're dead like that's not yeah a, that's the thing is i think that like our final theme here might be that the bigger issue is that it's not like people are optimizing around dumb reasons for a life well lived like we alluded to in the beginning which we don't agree with you know like how many people show yeah, they're, they're, pop. but they don't there's there is literally nothing you know like i'll just spend all my money i will just like max out everything it nothing matters after i die no, I don't. And you see this? I think yeah, you see we, this I a think lot. that's true, but I think a different way to word that is they're optimizing around normal, like like living the cultural ideal set out, like the aesthetic cultural ideal mm -hmm. set out by a specific community that they identify with. Mm -hmm. And one of the key problems of this is this often leads to an obsession with like being okay with yourself and being okay with your identity mm -hmm. in a way that can become all consuming because it's so circular. It's only you who judges whether or not you're okay with who you are. Yeah. And so when you live a life to be okay with who you are, you will never really be okay with who you are. Would you like to know more? So Malcolm, you know how we were told multiple times by someone that like the way you know you've lived your life well is by the number of people at your funeral. So if you have a ton of people at your funeral, obviously that means you nailed it, right? Yeah. Well, I just like heard of the greatest tack for this. Someone for their funeral had a raffle for giving away their car. And I'm like, well, this is it. You just like, you make, you, you pre-plan it, you pay it, you have a public announcement when you die and you list all of the assets you're going to raffle off to anyone who comes. Everyone shows up to your funeral, like done, you know, you, you hacked it. Now you've apparently lived a good life and all this happens after you die, of course, but apparently a lot of people care about stuff like that. So yeah. for those who do, you're welcome. And there's a lot of cultures similar to that where you can buy grievers. You know, we've talked about this in other episodes, yeah, like in Korea, yeah. you can buy people to come and grieve at your funeral if not enough people are going to come. Well, oh. and I mean, this goes back to ancient Egypt where they were professional mourners, right? Who would, you know, yeah. whale and whatnot. Well, yeah. and Rome did this as well with the processions after people would die. You know, it's- it's. What is up with people? Why do they care? Like, what is, what is this, this weird- desire for people to be really sad that you died. I mean, I guess it, it means that like you were necessary to them. It implies that you provided a lot of resources because I think the real reason why people would lose their shit if you died is they were also losing their house and their food and their job and like I think it's a popularity thing. Mm, they, no. they well, they see they they see life is about accumulating. I guess I call it emotional debt from other people, and they want the maximum number of other people to feel bad about the fact that they had died. Mm, like they want to go out like Princess Diana. Like she, I feel like in all human history, probably had the best like everyone mourning for her very dramatically thing, you know, where like it was traumatic for everyone, right? Well, I, I always remember her as the one with the expensive Beanie Baby ma made for the- Yeah, you, you know you've made it when you die and they make a, a commemorative, trendy collectible for you, whatever that may be, you know? <laughs> Stup People stupid reason, no, well, like as stupid measurements for a life well-lived. So what are what are good measurements for a life well-lived? Well I mean, I, I think that this varies across cultures, but I think mm. it's important to talk about from the perspective of our own cultural group. Yeah. What is a good measurement? Okay. And I would say there is only one measurement that really matters to me. And that is, what do my kids think of my life? Oh, what? Interesting. I'll explain. 
Mm. So there's a lot. Like I've said, I think a good life lived is an individual who makes the world a better place for the next generation. Yeah. But I think it's more than that. Okay. I get to teach my kids a value system. Mm -hmm. Now, two things here. If that value system isn't good, if they don't believe that in my life it reflected in a, a good life, like in the way I treat you, et cetera, then mm -hmm. they will leave that value system. They will go to another value system and they will judge me by that other value system, which is presumably better than the value system I taught them because they turned away from it, right? Correct. Like, yeah. Okay. So in that case, they would judge me negatively or, or, or just whatever through the eyes of this other value system. But, but Well, another way of looking at it though, is even if your kids choose to go another way, that may be thanks to you. And that other way is way, way better. And you just didn't have enough information in your lifetime to know it. You actually do them a huge favor by giving them the information they need combined with their, you know, real world, world experience to choose a better option. So, okay. What Philip of Mas Macedon or Philip of Macedonia, like was an okay ruler. Right. But like Alexander the Great may have disagreed with him. He didn't exactly carry on exactly what Philip did. He also didn't carry on exactly what his mother encouraged him to do. But instead, he achieved really, really great things. I don't think he would have achieved exactly what he would have achieved had he not been exposed to his parents and seen what they did well and what they didn't do well. And he did learn a lot from Philip for sure. But he he remixed it. I don't even think that like having your kids choose something different is a bad sign. I think having kids who are efficacious is the ultimate sign. And as long as you set them up for that, I think it's great, right? Yes, but hold on. Okay. So I'll, I'll keep going. So that's one potentiality. They choose a different tradition because based on what you have, have given them as sort of the tools, and then through the eyes of that different tradition, which is in the way that we view the world axiomatically better than ours because they chose it over ours, a better mechanism for judging whether or not we have lived a good life, or they stay within my tradition, right? Within the value set that I teach them. And then they judge me by the values that I taught them. And if I can't live up to that value system, if I cannot be a good person from the framework that I am providing my kids for what is defined as a good person, hmm. then I am not a good person. Yeah, if they're judging you by your own framework, but I rarely see children do that. I see children typically go to like, you know, public schools or modern universities be inculcated with a very different value set and then judge their parents negatively, even though their parents live with high fidelity and dedication to their values. Now, this is if, if my kids do that, then I have failed as a parent. Mm. See, so my life doesn't deserve to be valued highly. If, if your children, are, mm. if I put them in a context where they are able to be brainwashed by a, a nefarious force like the existing urban monoculture, mm -hmm. uh, and through that brainwashing, they end up hating me. Well, then I should hate myself because I failed at a core task of being human, which is giving my kids a, a, a good platform to go out into the world. If, if they end up converting into a culture which is so non-efficacious, so unaligned with our value set, then I have failed because not, not because they have chosen something better than me, but because they have chosen something so obviously stupid, which is sad. But I, I, I still think that it is a good measure of whether or not I have lived a good life. Hmm. And then there's the question of, you know, well, you were going to say something? Well, so it's just to recap, it's not that they like you. It's not that they miss you. It's not that anyone even notices your absence. It's whether or not they carry on your values. No, but 
No, okay. no. They evolve the value system that I gave them or move to a value system that they find more efficacious, but that is aligned broadly with, with our, our um, goals for the future of the species. And then mm. they use that to judge me. So there are many ways that they could judge me as a good parent. So two, just within that. One, they basically stay with our value system, but evolve it in some core ways. Okay. However, so you, you, you're cool with remixing. No, I think it's important that they remix. If they Agreed. are just a clone of me, one, I think that that's going to be a fragile culture. Mm -hmm. So it will eventually die out. So it's largely pointless. Agreed. And two, even our value system would tell them that like we would be disappointed in them if they were just clones of our value system. Mm -hmm. Like this is something we raise our kids believing. If you cannot come up with any evolution of our ideas, then you likely... Like, what was the point? What was the point of you being the next generation if you can't do better than us, right? Yeah, but yeah. I know my kids can do better than me and I know they'll see flaws in my logic and I know that they'll build upon this and create something better. But what's interesting is as they build something better, the question is, is, is the way I'm living my life, does it account for the ways that the value system may, may evolve? Like when they look back on my life today, are they able to say, even in the ways our value system evolved, I still think that he lived a good life, hmm. like an honorable life, right? Hmm. So that's one way I could do well, or they could convert to a different tradition. Like, I don't know, they convert to Judaism, right? Mm -hmm. But by this like orthodox framework of Judaism's value set, they still think that we lived a good life. Hmm. Interesting. And okay. So they're also like a lot of what you're looking at is do your children think that you are a hypocrite? In other words, do they, do they think that you did not live your values? Well, that could be how they judge my value system, but they could judge it through a different mechanism. Do you mm. see what I mean? And, and so for example, they convert to Orthodox Judaism, but they convert to like traditional Catholicism or something like that. They may even believe that we had lived a good life insofar as we paved the way and created an environment where they could convert to this radically different culture. However, I, I, I would be, you know, personally with my value system, I'd be disappointed in that. I think it would be like a, a refutation that anything that we have built has value. But I still think that it means that I lived a good life because I set them up to do knowing everything we know about the world and, and being smart and having the education that we granted them, they decided that this other tradition was just axiomatically better than everything we had built for them. And mm -hmm. that's fine. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That checks out. It's interesting what? to me, like how much your evaluation depends on the, the opinions of your children, because I feel like there are many people who I see as like great, great signs of success and, and testaments to their, their parents' upbringing who don't really respect their parents, even though in, in many ways, like at least I think in the ways that count, they're really carrying on some of the core values that their parents would have hoped them to carry on. I have seen that. Actually, I, I haven't seen that. Typically, when people hate their parents, it's mm -hmm. because they've been converted into a completely different cultural framework. That And, and typically, when a cult or, or a tradition is converting you, and they're not one of the like conservative, healthy ones, just like one of the newer, progressive ones or something like that. So like it's just a soft culture, in other words? 
Yeah, the, the the key way that cults convert people is they separate them from their family. Like they try to create walls between them and their family. Mm-hmm. And so they'll induce memories of trauma and stuff like that to mm-hmm. prevent the individual from having a support network to go back to. And so that's why, like, typically when I see somebody, like, think that their parents were just, like, the worst, either they've, they're, they've been converted into one of these usually very inefficacious cults, oh. or they were abused by their parents. Like genuinely their parents did like a terrible job raising them, were narcissistic, something like that. Now, when I see people convert into harder religious traditions, I don't often see this divide with the parents as much. Like 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 older, harder religious traditions. So you think when people like go hardline from soft softer cultures, they still somewhat respect their parents? Yeah. I haven't seen that often somebody, typically because the people who convert into these harder religious traditions just have more mental maturity than the people who are seduced by promises of hedonism and doing whatever they want whenever they want, you know. But there's another thing here which is important. Like I think an interesting thing about our death when contrasted with the death of our parents is that if you look at where AI technology is going and what it can already do in terms of simulating people, and you look at the volume of content that we have produced on YouTube with our faces, us talking, you and me as separate people. Now, this wasn't true when we had just written the books, true. Uh, but it's it's certainly true now, given you know, 30 to 45 minutes every weekday, if we keep this up for a few years, it will be very easy to train a very detailed AI on us, to look like us, to talk like us, likely to even exist within a a 3D virtual environment. So we will be summonable to our kids, to our grandkids, whenever they want, if they see any utility in interacting with us. Mm. Our death just isn't that meaningful in terms of a loss of a source of information or mentorship or perspective to our kids, because they will still have access to all of those things, even after we die. Hmm, yeah. Would that make our lives better lived? Well, I mean, I, I imagine it depends on how much the kids value our opinion and how much the grandkids value our opinion, how much anything we do. Oh, so you more is like a KPI of whether or not they respect what we have done. Then you see it as like itself a, an outcome that's desired. But if you have done a good job, they will want to interact with the AI version of you more. I don't right? know if that's true. I can see us doing a good job and them just being like, yeah, but intergenerational. I have improved so much over my parents that they just don't have much useful information to share with me. Probably not, um, yeah. so an example of this would be like my dad, right? He, I think, did a great job as a dad in so far as I really like how I turned out as a person. And I feel like he worked hard to make the world a better place. You know, he built up institutions like the Santa Fe Institute, which ended up having a really big impact on like the way people think and culture and stuff like that. Right. You know, so he's a, a, he, he lived a good life by my value set, but he is philosophically so behind me just in terms of his philosophical metaphysical, like, understanding of the world or, or sophistication that there's very little i would ask him and expect like useful novel information mm, yeah um, so you, you respect him insofar as he raised you well and he set you in the right direction but also like you've now care you've taken the torch and you will carry it forward and you hope that our children do the same and therefore they may not consult you much because they will have hopefully surpassed you right and, and i think that yeah. 
to me is what's more interesting. And that's maybe why you heard me like immediately go to like, oh, kids who are different from you are better. Because I, I mean, the whole point of having kids and having an impact in your, through your kids and our cultural interest involving in a good life, involving a good life being what your kids' outcomes are, is that we don't want stagnation. We don't want ourselves to live forever. We don't want ourselves to persist forever. We want to be a part of a meaningful chain of evolution. Yeah. So the yeah. chain is good. Um, yeah. And, 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 and in a way, uh, it is a testament to just how good my dad did that I wouldn't want to constantly summon an AI of him to right. ask him for advice. Right. Because he should have made someone better than him and he did. Yeah. Which is really interesting. And I, and so, so even though I think our kids won't have to deal with, and, and I hear in this video, I certify, if you do make an AI of me from these videos, you just treat anything it says as if I had said it. I don't have any problem with that. I don't have any problem. But somebody could be like, well, the AI is just sort of hijacking his memory to- Yeah, but um, what do you think your brain is doing right now, right? <laughs> yeah, my my brain is hijacking a memory it has of who I am and like mm -hmm. a self-conception and then um, selling it to you guys. So yeah, it's it's, it's just the same thing. Yeah. But it may have different opinions than I have right now, but so- Future me might have different opinions than I'd have right now. This is also why was this AI technology living forever as a stagnant entity is so pointless. Like, why does it help that I'm living forever when an AI recreation of me could live forever? Like, why is that useful? I think oh. there's this intuition that people want to experience all of it themselves when they don't realize just how non-contiguous oneself is, even once yeah, and, and this is also important when you think about death from us, like non-contiguousness and everything like that. So mm -hmm. we genuinely, and I think really deeply believe ourselves to be intergenerational entities. Mm -hmm. And by that, what I mean is I am half my dad, half my mom and the culture of my ancestors and 2%, 3% something else, you know, mm -hmm. but most is just a, a continuation of my parents. And they were half their dad, half their mom, the culture that they came from, and a, a dash of maybe something else. Where I think most people think that they're mostly something else. And so from my perspective, I am, and my kids are, like my mom who died recently, I am her experiencing the world in a slightly different body. I My kids are her, fractionally speaking, of course, experiencing the world in a slightly different body. One that was not burdened with uh, her prejudices or her, and by that what I mean was we all have prejudices. Like I could just live forever as a single individual. Like that would kind of suck because as you live your life, you build up prejudices and biases and sunk cost fallacies. Mm -hmm. And when I have a kid, I can sort of tell them, okay, here's like everything I think about the world. And then they get to filter that and say, okay, here's what's probably true. And here's what's probably not true. Mm -hmm. And that's just so much better than me continuing on into the future with all of these biases. You know, this, this sort of a hard reset we get every hundred years or so as a species or, or less than that, you know, 30, 40 years as a species. It's, it's a really unique and high utility system for for living and so i don't really believe i die as long as my relatives live and my relatives are a very big network so i just don't think unless all of humanity dies that i have meaningfully died and do you feel the same way or yeah yeah i absolutely feel the same way and i also i mean we've said we've talked about this in other chan like discussions but that the idea that you even are 
your yourself or the same person or the you that you are is, is experiencing life now is going to be that it, it will not last. It will not last longer than a couple of weeks, a couple of years. Like the, you, 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 even yourself within your life are not the same person, not the yeah. same consciousness, not the same biological body, not the same cluster of cells. So it's really weird to think that even you are an unbroken consciousness. So I think once you view life through that lens, it becomes so much easier to have the view that we have where like our kids are versions of us a little bit remixed, a little bit improved experiencing life. But I think it's really hard to have that view if you truly believe that you are not a ship of Theseus, but rather this thing that will never change that is experiencing an unending line of consciousness, which is totally yeah, a really interesting perspective that you have that I'd love you to talk about is sort of this idea that even in between moments, you are a different person. You tomorrow is absolutely meaningfully a different person than you are today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the easiest way for people to experience this or realize this would involve writing letters to yourself in six months, in three years, you know, about what you're thinking about, what you're doing, what you think of the future, what you worry about, what you obsess over. Because when you receive those letters and you try to think back to that time, you'll remember things about it that you really can't get back in the head of that person. And you realize that you are receiving a letter from a different person, well, <laughs> someone that you're related to, and you can feel for them and care for their plight, but you really are feeling for someone else's plight. So, And, and you structure the wording of these letters that way. You're like, yes, future Simone, yes, past Simone, stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, I think a lot of people do that intuitively. You know, they're like... I could make my bed, but that's a problem for future Janet. You know, like people, people do this all the time by screwing over their future selves by not planning for the future. The fact that the majority of Americans are living, is it the majority? It's some huge proportion of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. People aren't saving. People are not making financial decisions for the future shows a lack of empathy for their future selves and also a lack of identification with their future selves. Yeah. So I, mean, I think actually life extensionists are somewhat the exception <laughs> that they, they don't think normally because the average person and most importantly through actions and not words is demonstrating that they don't identify with their future selves and they don't identify with their past selves. Yeah. Well, so an interesting thing is, is, is I think that you're partially right here, but I think that life extensionists are not so interested in living forever as mm. they are afraid of death. Because their mm. sense of identity is only the contiguous self. And they believe that their purpose is happiness, basically, uh, or, or, or something like that, right? Like something hedonistic, okay. something about their qualia or experience of the world. So they attempt to maximize this. And the longer they can live, the less they need to think about how trivial all those things are, because they're all going to be dust soon. And That's I think that when you internalize your mortality... Wait, so wait, I just want to make sure I understand you correctly. So you think it's basically nihilism that makes life extensionists afraid of death. Is that correct? Yes. That's interesting because, yeah, I think you and I don't want to die. 100% don't want to die. But it's not because we are afraid of death. In fact, death is going to be kind of a relief. Um, yeah. Instead, we are afraid of not setting up our kids well enough. That, that our kids will not be well taken care of, that our kids will not yet be independent, that our kids will not yet have, you know, the resources from us that they need to thrive. 
once our kids are set, I mean, we're probably going to get really interested in our grandkids and try to help them as much as we can because, you know, it's, it's, yeah, they're, think- our, our kids are going to have less bandwidth to invest disproportionately in, in their own kids while they're at their peak earning years, et cetera. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's the only thing. So we're actually not afraid of death. We're kind of like, super excited about it. Yeah, yeah, so we, the way I'd word it for people who who struggle to understand this concept, because I think people who are brought up in the mainstream culture of society today, this can seem like a really weird mental framework, huh. is it sort of like we have a to-do list. With When the to-do list is done, death is great. Mm-hmm. Like, because we've accomplished all that we were meant to accomplish, all that we mm-hmm. decided that we were meant to accomplish, all that we mm-hmm. needed to accomplish in the world. And once we've accomplished all those things, it's like, Congrats! Yeah, everything's done. You get to um, die. Congrats! Now I get to die. Death is the reward. Death is yeah. the, is the, is the um, treat. But it's it, it, and I think that this leads to this like real lack of an existential fear. I, there's an existential fear that I don't get the things done that I want to get done before. One hundred percent. That really scares me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I leave my kids a a world or a framework and, and tools that don't set them up to do the things that they need to do with their lives before they intergenerationally improve, before they move to the next generation. That worries me. But other than that, and I think that this, you know, when somebody was asking us, like, why would you try to make the world a better place if you're not going to get to experience it? This, the question just seems so odd if you see time and reality the way we do. Where we're Mm -hmm. like, I don't get to experience tomorrow. You know, I get to experience today as who I am today, but if I lived life as somebody just constantly maxing the moment, then I, you know, paycheck to paycheck, I think. And and I think that our biologies aren't really adapted to that. So when you do hedonistic in the moment maxing, I think that it actually ends up sort of destroying your brain and everything begins to feel sad and ennui and, and terrible. And I, and I think that when I look at people who do this, I, I actually think that this is where the antinatalists come from. Like when we look at the antinatalists, they all seem like really deeply unhappy people, usually bought far into the urban monoculture huh. of like, I should do whatever I want, whenever I want in an attempt to be as happy as possible. And when you do this, like when you're just constantly chasing happiness for its own sake and hedonism for its own sake, what you realize is that you're no longer happy when you get those things anymore. And you begin to realize that happiness never really had any value to begin with. And then you develop this negative utilitarian framework. Whereas to us, not at all. Like we are like, happiness doesn't matter. Of course, happiness doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's something that we get in the background when we're doing more purposeful things than, than things designed to achieve happiness. Yeah. Here's the thing also, like, do you think a lot of this could like I, I also feel like this existential fear of death is is relatively new because when you look at like the Victorian era, back then you people would witness each other's deaths, near neighbors would come over and watch you die, and there were all sorts of uh, memento mori that people would carry around with them. Like you would cut off locks of hair from people who died, and you would weave them into necklaces and jewelry and wear them. You would wear dead people's hair, and and talk about death a lot and. Like, I feel like back then, maybe a lot of it was just the understanding, like more widespread that, oh, we're going to go to heaven and be reunited there. What, what do you think happened? Because I, I do think that so, there was an interesting break down in, throughout the 1900s that has led us to where we are now. 
I, I think the the urban monoculture is the key culprit here. It, when I look at different hard cultural traditions, like religions, you could say, yeah. uh, people who are in softer iterations of those that are closer to the urban monoculture, you know, that have lost most of their traditions, they're the ones that seem to be hit most by death. And the ones that are in harder cultural traditions typically just aren't. And most harder cultural traditions are, are these older ways of doing things, these older, more cohesive cultural traditions that differ from the urban monoculture. Mm -hmm. They're not as affected by death. Because their lives, you know, have purpose and they know the metrics by which things are measured. So they don't worry about it as much. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to say I think that you are right about that. And what's really interesting is I actually think that you can sort of see the moment when society first started to care about death and be afraid of death, which mm. was in the 1920s, 1930s spiritual medium fad when like everyone got like really obsessed with spiritual mediums. You know, oh, that's the turning. That's dead. very interesting. Yeah. So when it stopped being, we witness death, we are around death, we talk about death to like, let's try to hold on to the people we've lost. Kind yeah. Of so if you look at traditional Calvinist culture, right? Like one of the things mentioned in the Albion Seed is that they would have kids stand over graveyards with, with dead people, just like look at it. You're going to die one day. Accept that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I've mentioned this in another video. I've worked with lots of dead people. I worked at a medical examiner, you know, moving their brains for dissection. And so I got to read their file because, you know, I needed, we needed to collect the right brains. Mm -hmm. And so I got to really see who they were as a person, see everything they were talking to their psychologist about, see their body, see how they died. And over and over and over and over again. And that might've played a big role in desensitizing me to death to just be like, oh yeah, death is like a really normal thing. And it's it's not something to fear. The only thing to fear is what I do not accomplish before I die. And the, the people that my death ends up hurting because I didn't provide them with the tools necessary. But by doing things like these videos that could be turned into an AI iteration of myself, that is one thing that my kids, one, one of the many things that I won't be depriving my kids of. I won't be depriving them of a source of potentially orthogonal advice. And when so we you, talk about you think your encounters with cadavers tangibly changed the way that you look at death and your own death? Yeah. Seeing lots of dead people over and over and over again, and then working at the Smithsonian with all of those bodies um, in that department that Bones takes place in. I think we've talked about this in other things. Yeah, I, I think, you know, just it it normalized it. Hmm. And I think this is something that people used to have. I mean, if you think about the normal person today, I can talk to the normal person and they've never seen a dead body in person before. Like, that's wild. We live in a society where- and I've never seen a dead body in person, for sure. That like, yeah, dead people happen all the time. If you're in a major city, there's people dying every day, dozens mm -hmm. of them. Mm -hmm. And and you haven't seen them because the, our is death as something wrong that's not supposed to happen ever, 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 and must be hidden the moment it happens. Well, yeah, you see, that's why I think it's not just a matter of soft culture. I think it's also a matter of medical breakthroughs that have made it easier to keep people alive than ever before. And combined with the Hippocratic mm. Oath, which we just haven't let go of, which I think is pretty toxic, of like, no matter what, even if they're not really alive, you know, even if they're in more pain, even if they're suffering, even if they're never going to leave the hospital again, even if their family can't afford it, blah, 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 right? Like even if they are a vegetable, we will keep them alive at all costs, making inadvertently death like a thing that has gone terribly wrong, even when it's totally someone's time, right? Like yeah, yeah they're very old. They're not, there's nothing left ahead of them, et cetera, et cetera. 
So I think that that that's you know that's not just soft culture. That is an entire industry, economically driven, but also weirdly regulatorily and ideologically driven through the way that doctors are trained. That has told us that death was a mistake. It yeah. could have been prevented with the right medical care. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, you know, not just culture, also like a weird, like bad combination of like the, just the perfect storm of technology and an outdated method, which is funny because the Hippocratic Oath like just totally didn't work at all for like most of medical history, right? Like most doctors who are treating people like throughout the Middle Ages, throughout like even like, you know, the mid to late 1800s were like quite often killing people, like making it worse, further compromising people, killing new babies and, and pregnant women by like, you know, working with like sick cadavers and then delivering babies without washing their hands. You know, like it's, it's really, it's, it's weird. But anyway, I just side probably not really relevant, but I still think that that matters. But I'm curious to hear from people in the comments what they think a life well lived is. You know, aside from like how many people show up at your funeral, I'm, I'm actually not sure what people are going for. Are there other common things that I'm missing here? Yeah, I, I think hedonism, what I would say is, is a lot of people today, they'll maximize like really dumb stuff, like the number of people they sleep with or like how alpha they are. Or oh, like... so just like how many, like how much money they're dying with, you think? No. Um, well, no, I think that that's actually pretty rare these days. Yeah. I think the, 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 the core things where people like really fuck up how they're optimizing their lives is they optimize it around competing in a specific social dynamic or a specific social community that is like, you know, it, it could be that they organize themselves based on how, how alpha they are, for example. Mm. And that doesn't really matter when you're dead. Like that's not. Yeah, a, that's the thing is I think that like our final theme here might be that the bigger issue is that it's not like people are optimizing around dumb reasons for a life well lived, like we alluded to in the beginning, which we don't agree with, you know, like how many people show up yeah, in the pop. But they don't, there's, there is literally nothing, you know, like I'll just spend all my money. I will just like max out everything. It, nothing matters after I die. No, I don't. And you I, see this. I think yeah, you see we, this I lot. think that that's true, but I think a different way to word that is they're optimizing around normal, like, like living the cultural ideal set out like the aesthetic cultural ideal mm -hmm. set out by a specific community that they identify with. Mm -hmm. And one of the key problems of this is this often leads to an obsession with like being okay with yourself and being okay with your identity mm -hmm. in a way that can become all consuming because it's so circular. It's only you who judges whether or not you're okay with who you are. Yeah. And so when you live a life to be okay with who you are, you will never really be okay with who you are. And that's kind of, one, a silly thing to live one's life around, I think. But two, it's really sad that that has become so popular as a way to live. Yeah. I'm trying to think of instances in, in like the news where like a famous person died and we're like, yeah, they died well. Are there any of those recently where like people have said someone died well? Do we just like kind of sweep it under the rug? Like there, there is no... People don't talk about dying well, living well, et cetera. I think they talk, they people don't. talk I mean, about I, like legacies left behind. Like, oh. Well, you and I do. When somebody dies in our life, we're always like, okay, did they live a good life or a bad life? And this is like a family tradition that we want to have our kids do is when somebody <laughs> dies, the way that they process that is we as a family talk through, did they live a good life or a bad life? Hmm. And it, we, we live in a society today where people can't say somebody lived a bad life, but our family, you know, we're like, okay, what was their value system? Did they achieve what they wanted to achieve? What is yeah. our value system? Yeah, 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 yeah. Anything meaningful by that? And, and, and using these two metrics, you know, if they lived a good life, then so what if they died? Like, great, they did it. 
you know. Yeah, yeah. If if they if they um, would be satisfied, with no point. Nothing doing. to be sad about. Totally. If they lived a bad life, then focus on where their life went off the rails, and learn from mm -hmm. that so that it doesn't happen to you. And I think it's often really clear where this happened. Either the person never developed really a good internal model for why they were alive, or they, you know, tried methamphetamines, or they, you know, married somebody who was just a horrible spouse to them. Like there, there are obviously identifiable things, and these can be a really clear way to like hit this home for our kids in thinking about another person's life and the quality of their life after they died in mm. terms of how they categorize that person in their mental history. I appreciate that. Cause I think there's this, this theme after people die of like, you can only say nice things about them. I know this is not universal and people have written books like about how they're glad their mom's dead, et cetera. But you know, oh, in general, true. people act as though, you know, they're blameless. Oh, she was, he was great. She was amazing. You know, not great. Yeah. Well, I love you, Simone. And and please don't die anytime soon because I really need you to do a lot of things. Like, we have so much to do. We have so much to do. Yeah. But I, I believe we can do most of it in about 20 years. So if we live for 20 years, I think that we will have achieved most of the tasks we want to achieve unless... I disagree because if we're successful in having the number of kids that we want to have, you know, we need at least like 30 years to get yeah, our our youngest kid to it. I mean, I agree that like the risk goes down of a premature death because one could hope that older siblings would adopt and take in younger siblings. And we should probably set up trust incentives to do that where like yeah. they'd be incentivized to come in and, and raise their youngest siblings as adults. But still, we, we have a long way to go and I'm not, I'm not ready at all. If we die, not ready. like as a default plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I love you. Don't die. Be safe. Okay. Uh, <laughs>